Welcome to Screen Thoughts with Hollister and O'Toole. In a perfect world, they would have never met. My name is Bill Vandenbrock. What is this about? My wife was on that plane. So, you know that Random Hearts is one of my favorite movies, right, O'Toole? You know, I knew that, but I think I'd forgotten it. Right. Can you describe the movie for our listeners? Well, it was (laughs) stacked full of famous actors. Kristen Scott Thomas and Harrison Ford are the stars. Their respective spouses go down in a fiery plane crash, and he realizes they were traveling together. Yes, as in together. Are you investigating something? They were sitting together. 3A and B. Your husband. My wife. Do you know that? It was directed by Sidney Pollack. Check out the cast. Charles S. Dutton, Bonnie Hunt, Dennis Haysbert, Richard Jenkins, Susanna Thompson, who I loved on Once and Again. <laughs> I know, right? She's on Crazy. NCIS. Yep. Dylan Baker, Peter Coyote, and I didn't even realize this, Kate Mara. From House of Cards. Well, in her very early years, before she had right? legs the length of Texas, you know. Okay, so then uh, also there's the movie The War of the Roses, which yes. is not necessarily one of my favorite movies. In fact, I found I, I was just filled with angst around it. But you want to describe a quick War of the Roses explanation? Yes, well, that was a movie that filled me with angst because I was living in Germany when I saw that. So I've only seen that movie in German. But it reteamed Kathleen Turner and Michael Douglas. And their spouse is going through a bitter, bitter, acrimonious divorce. And it also stars Danny DeVito. If love is blind, now I got you. Marriage is like having a stroke. <laughs> well, and DeVito pay, plays uh, his law- divorce lawyer, and he sort of oversees the entire description of, of how this all falls apart. But it was not a movie that I tremendously loved. But War of the Roses is a cult film. I mean, people watch it over and over again. What do you think the two movies, War of the Roses and Random Hearts, have in common? I'm going to go with the writer. <laughs> Warren Adler, who was the author of those books and oh, so many more. He's written over 30 books. I know. I believe over 12 of them have been optioned. He was a pioneer in electronic publishing. Yeah. And I'm going to have to check out this audiobook because Cynthia Nixon reads his New York Echoes. Yep. Hollister, one thing that I think is amazing about Warren Adler's, I don't know if he still holds this record. You can probably tell me. But when he sold the film rights to Private Lies, he sold them for $1.2 million. Which at its height, yes, which was the highest amount anybody ever paid. For an unpublished manuscript. Yeah. In IMDb, he has four announced projects in the works. He's working with one of his sons, not my friend David, but another son uh, who has a production company. So I was really lucky, and I thank my friend David Adler for giving me access to his father, Warren Adler. I was really lucky to have the opportunity to spend the morning at Warren's uh, apartment and where I got to interview him about movies and books and all things uh, all things on the screen. I will point out that at one point we agreed that I would take Warren to a film. He doesn't like to go to movies anymore. He doesn't like the trailers. Any listener ideas of which one I should take him to over the coming couple of months, let me know. And are you going to let him share your popcorn? No, absolutely not, but I'll buy him his own. <laughs> I'll buy him his own, and I'll buy him a medium, whereas I always get a small. So thank you, thank you, thank you, Warren, for one of the great mornings I've spent. I really, really appreciate it. So without further ado, we're going to play my interview. 
So, Mr. Warren Adler, I'm just really grateful that you took this time to talk with us at Screen Thoughts about movies and books to movies, which our listeners are really, really interested in. Because over the last whatever decades, you have really been paramount in books to movies. So, thanks for taking this time. My pleasure. Yeah, I hope so. <laughs> um, okay, I want to talk. We're going to start with War, War of the Roses. Okay, because it's certainly the foremost film. Even today, we talk to a lot of millennials. They all know the movie. They've all seen the movie. And some of them are now taking another look at the book. But one of the things that you said around War of the Roses is you said it's not about love. Not at all. You said it's about materialism. It's about materialism, correct. It's about possessions. And But then I thought about it, and I went back and reread the book. Didn't they use the material goods to deal with the pain of the breakup rather than it being about, I want that item because I want everything materially? Well, that's one way of looking at it. But don't forget, this has gone on for 40 years. So I I really don't quite understand how some book that I wrote in my pajamas (laughs) 40 years ago has made such a tremendous impact. And the people ask that question all the time. But I, the, the reason that I wrote that book, I think that's the reason, uh, after thinking about it for 40 years, was um, how possessions can take over your life. That was the uh, years where the yuppies, you remember the yuppies? I do. sure. I, I am one, yeah. You're a yuppie? Well, <laughs> I don't know. But uh, uh, where possessions were the most important thing in life. And most divorce lawyers will tell you that um, that is the issue, how to split the possessions. That is the underlying conflict in most divorces. If you'll notice in the book, it was not about the children. It was not about sexual problems between the couple. It was, in the end, about possessions and power, in a way. And there was no, that was the conflict. And that's what I was really looking for within. It took me 40 years to figure out why this thing had become a phenomenon. <laughs> Wherever I go, people will quote, uh, will quote lines from the book and the movie. Mm-hmm. So my feeling is that uh, in the end, uh, it was about things. And the psychological interior of the characters may be different than that. But on the surface, I have now concluded it's about things. Because people call me occasionally and say, I've had a terrible battle with my wife over my divorce. I saw the movie, or I read the book, and she could have whatever she wants. No more fights about possessions. So that's kind of evidence. Well, it is. It definitely is. But it seemed to me that the book was, I felt, a little more powerful than the film, actually. Thank you very much. Well, I guess that's a good yes. And the reason I felt it was more powerful is I felt it developed the characters a little better. What I saw them doing is looking at each other and determining what's going to piss you off the most. And that's what I'm going to do. So then I thought, is it really then? I mean, I don't want to argue the point of possessions, but... Why, weren't they really just trying to do the biggest thing they could to hurt the other person in the biggest way that they could? And isn't that... Well, they so- began to hate each other. Yeah. Uh, and uh, it's interesting what you say. The reason the book, to me, is always more powerful than the movie, because the novel 
or fiction is the only art form that allows people or the author to go into the internal life of the person. You can't do it with painting, uh, you can't do it with music, you can't do it with any other art form. What an author does is get into the minds of all of the people that he creates. And uh, that's the way I write my books. So I'm, um, I'm saying to myself in my declining years that this is the most important thing about fiction, that you get into the characters' minds and can understand why they say and do things, which you can't in any other art form. Well, perhaps that's why it's so disappointing sometimes. People are so excited for a movie to come out that's based on a book, and then they're always disappointed it was miscast, you know, whatever, whatever that well, it's reasoning is. Uh, it is. You, the, the actors can only go so far in terms of the internal life or the internal thoughts, they, and they do a great job. It's a great art form, but it's not like writing books. No, it isn't. Not like fiction. No. So did you happen to read or watch Little Big Lies? No, I didn't. Okay, Little Big Lies was a very book that you know, very big in the last 10 or 15 years, okay? And then Reese Witherspoon uh, decided to bring it into a small series through, uh, I think it's HBO. And so it was six parts. So it's six hours to tell a book that normally is told in an hour and a half in a film. And one of the things that I thought was excellent about it was it really what enabled them to take more time to do exactly what you're talking about, which is to go into the heads of the different characters. And I couldn't help but think that War of the Roses should be remade as a six-part series because the book... <laughs> well, we'll have to see if somebody can well, take, take that you, out. We, we yeah. have a sequel to that. I wrote a sequel to uh, War I of the Roses. I saw that, yeah. And that is... The script is finished. And uh, we are choosing a director now, and that will eventually be made. Now, you said that you uh, you were quoted somewhere in saying that um, you always, in all your contracts, you're a very co smart contract guy. You didn't go to law school, though, huh? No, and I'm not. I didn't, never thought I was that smart. Well, one of the things you do in your contracts is that you insist on running the first script for the whatever movie is going to be made. That's you don't correct. care if they bring another scriptwriter in, but you want the first go at it. And as I understand it, the reason you like to do that is because you feel that that sets the foundation. So even if they take off in different directions, the foundation of the book will always be there. Well, that that's my vision. Uh -huh. And they usually take it and adulterate it. Uh, they, they did very well with uh, The War of the Roses. Not so well on Random Hearts. Terrible. As a matter of yeah, fact, I thought yeah. it was so terrible that I wrote a piece in the New York Times. Oh, I didn't see Which that. you don't do that. And I, I thought it was a terrible movie. But a lot of people love it. I love that movie. Uh, but I yeah, did not think it, it wasn't. The book was no, ten, a hundred times better in my view. Yeah, I think you have to understand from the movie perspective, though, as somebody who saw the movie before I read the book, and that is that um, Harrison Ford, they did a great job in playing characters that did one of two things. They gave me a mirror of myself or a window into that which I aspire to be. And so whenever a movie does something like that, people are going to love it. But if you read the book after the movie, then you're going, wait a minute, this could have been a ten times better movie. Could have movie. been. Yeah. And here was the basic problem with it. Um, Harrison Ford character was supposed to be 
an, an assistant to a congressman. And for some reason, Sidney, uh, the uh, Sidney Pollack, the director, made him a cop, which changed the whole routine of what, what that story was all about. But Sidney Pollack likes, likes action in a way that... Yeah, but the, the, <laughs> they liked, maybe they liked that kind of action, but there was plenty of action there on was. the part of the assistants of the congressman. Yeah, there was, there was. Uh, it was originally, it was Dustin Hoffman who found that book. And he read it in uh, a little paragraph in uh, Publishers Weekly. And uh, I had a number of conversations. We had breakfast together. And uh, I thought he was going to be the star. He would have been really perfect. And uh, it didn't work out Did you think, did you think Harrison Ford was not perfect? I didn't think Harrison Ford was... Uh, I like Harrison. I think he's a terrific guy. I lived in Jackson Hole and used to go horseback riding on his property, and uh, he—it uh, wasn't—it wasn't his fault. He's just—he's an actor. He's, it wasn't his fault. Uh, but I think by changing that character, they changed everything. And what I did was the worst thing that any writer could do. I wrote a big piece for the New York Times, telling people how much I hated that movie. And when I met Harrison and Sidney later, they were not too happy with that. Mm, well, but I told them what I felt. It yeah. was my original piece of work. You know, and, as, um, we, as we get older, I, for me, authenticity is sometimes more important to me than how people feel about me in a moment. And I think if you write a book, a book is a very personal thing. You have every right to say what you think about the transition well, into absolutely. a movie. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and yeah. as you reach a certain age, you never care what people think about you anymore. It yeah. doesn't matter. I'm there. I'm there. I'm so there. No, you're not there. I am, actually. No. Okay. But, um, all right, now let's go back to the question of War of the Roses, your first book to be picked up as a movie. No, that was not. It wasn't? No, not at all. Which that was the first? That was my tenth novel. For no, I know, but the first book to be picked up no, as a no. film. No, no. The first book to be picked up to, for a movie was Trans-Siberian Express. Trans-Siberian Express was a, in my view, one of the really, really important novels. And um, it was originally uh, uh, picked up by Sir Lou Grade. Do you remember him? I do. From uh, They owned ITV, and and it was the producer's circle. Uh, Way back in the 70s, they paid a fortune for it at that time for me, poor kid from Brooklyn. Uh, they gave me a quarter of a million dollars. It's a huge amount. And uh, I nearly fainted, but I took it. And it was a big mistake. I should not have taken that money. Because? Because they never made the movie. I was just going to say, was then was War of the Roses the first book that was actually made into a movie? Uh, yes. Because I, I yes. Have to, yeah, because I have to but say. I yeah. sold 12 books. My career goes this way. The traditional... Um, Publishers published 27 of my novels, all the major publishers. And, uh, but I didn't like the delay in the way this things. My, my brain was working faster because it took me till I was 46 years old to get my first book published. So I really went to work and try to make up that time. And I decided that uh, I wanted to control my own destiny from here on in and put out my stuff as it came off the type, the type well, not typewriter, the computer. <clears throat> and I set up my own publishing company after 27 novels, and my own publishing company is called Stonehouse, 
uh, Productions. I have a staff, and they market my books all over the world. And I'm very happy to do that, where I don't have to go through catalogs, editors. I do my own editing, uh, not proofing, but editing. And uh, I'm very happy in my role as a publisher of my own work. Would you recommend that? I mean, what, what, what acumen do you need to have to be able to accomplish that versus just writing? Money. You have to have enough to finance it. You can't do it alone. Mm-hmm. You need to find the greatest kids. I say kids. Best would be millennials. My staff is all under 25, and, uh, and they're terrific. Yes, they are. And, yeah, I can, uh, I'm I can very, attest to that. Uh, very pleased with what I'm doing, but I'm in control of my own destiny. Mm-hmm. And there's a reason for that. My father was never in control of his destiny. He was always unemployed. I am a depression baby. I saw him get kicked around, and what it, it did, it destroyed him. And I said to myself when I was in my early 20s, I will never let anyone else control my own destiny. And I was entrepreneurial, went into my own businesses, uh, and uh, made enough money so that I could do this publishing work that I, that my first love and my only love. So what's your writing plan? Do you get up, I know you get up early, I just know that about you. I, I've thought about that ever since I well, started when I, I ran an advertising agency in Washington, D.C., uh, real estate and politics was my specialty. I named Watergate, incidentally. Hmm. My friends think that the greatest greatest thing that I ever did, which is ridiculous. But I get up early. I had to get up early because I was I had an advertising agency that I had to run. So I usually get up at five and I try to do five pages a day. And uh, then I stop even if it's in the middle of a sentence. And uh, I went to work. So I, you do five pages. I mean, you, when, you... when I'm hot, I do five pages. Okay. Yeah. Every day. Seven you know, days a week. Steinbeck used to get up every morning, and he said he had to do a warm-up. He would write two or three letters before he would do also five pages. Interesting. Well, that's I yeah. never knew that. Yeah. Um, I always ask writers, and writers always ask me, what the, what's your method? And incidentally, there are three questions that they ask fiction writers all over the world. I don't know why. These are the three questions. When do you write? How do you write, and where do you get your ideas? Well, Everyone will ask the same question, no matter where I am. I could be in Paris. You could just hand a sheet of paper or something out and just answer the question. <laughs> no, every author, a friend of mine, yeah. gets the same thing. This is not an original idea, but it's amazing. They will ask those three questions. Well, you know, I'm a writer. You said, you know, how do you get your ideas? Okay, ideas are easy, because if you live a full life with interesting people that have flaws, which I certainly Who doesn't? do. Well but ex- <laughs> everybody does. But when you write and expose those flaws, um, there's a penalty. You know, it creates a barrier between you and the people you're no, around. No, it does not. That is a barrier for you as a writer. <laughs> and well, that no one's a- ever gotten mad at you, Warren, for what you wrote. If you worry, worry about <laughs> exposing the secrets of people you know, don't go into the fiction writing business. Well, do you have friends that have difficult things that they don't want you to share? Who cares? You're writing fiction. <laughs> You're making up stories. It's not exactly the stories of them because it never comes out as a perfect portrait 
of what they are. But if you start to worry about, oh God, I'm, my friend Jamie, I'm exposing a secret he told me, you'll never be a fiction writer. So has anyone, no it's one's inhibiting. ever... It's It's no good. No one's ever gotten angry at you for something you wrote? Oh, that sure. Felt... No, you know, they got angry at the War of the Roses is a good example. I have made party, enemies right? because they, people actually believed I looked into their divorce papers and people don't talk to and me. And how do you respond to that? What do you say to them? I say, that's ridiculous. I write a fiction. I make it all up. And... Uh, I don't care. Well, it's funny because I know you're a very happily married man, 61 years. No, 67 years. 67 years. However, my wife has Alzheimer's. Uh, yes, I'm and sorry. And she's now in a facility. Uh-huh. And that is the worst thing that ever happened to me in a charmed life. But I'm you had a wonderful marriage, her. right? I mean... I had... This is my sweetheart that suddenly is in a... I met her when she was 19 years old. I married her soon after. She came to the army with me when I was stationed in the Pentagon. She gave up a year of college and came back to finish. Yeah, I miss. Uh, you, don't don't make me cry now. I'll try not to. Although I might cry. Um, yeah, Alzheimer's is a terrible disease. Yeah, the terrible. worst. Yeah, and nobody knows anything about it. Well, um, and there is my sweetheart, still looking gorgeous, who had a fantastic career, a White House correspondent, a magazine editor. She barely knows who I am. Well, and life is life, you know, it is what it is. But War of the Roses, it's so funny. Here's this guy who's really happily married who writes about anguish both, I mean, random hearts, War of the Roses. These are not happily married people, you know. Uh, it's interesting, though, that you can tap into that. And one of the things that a number of people have said to me that I agree with is you're able to write both the female and the male character with equal accuracy. It's, it's not easy, but I think my experience says that men who are really happily married and are respectful of women being equal to but different than are able to write in the women's voice. Does, did your wife help you to be able to show a female character as as ably as your... Well, my as, wife never... Uh, I never, ever showed my wife um, or read my wife my books um, uh, until they were finished. And, and then she read them. You mean edited or first draft no, finished? When I finish the book, I will allow, allow her to read it. Uh, in fact, I don't tell anybody what I'm writing about until it's finished. I don't rush in to read my works of genius every uh, five pages. I don't ever tell anybody about my writing uh, until it's finished, until I've figured out the ending. Because if I knew the ending in advance, for example, I wouldn't write the book. Because the, the way in which I look at writing is the characters that I create, they create their own destiny. I don't write by outline. Once those characters are alive in my mind, they work at their own destiny. Because if I knew how it ended, I wouldn't write the book. Do you journal? Never. I don't keep a journal, and I have really no interest in writing my uh, memoirs, because all of my life is in my books. Hmm. Um, people ask me to write memoirs. I, I'm just not interested in that. I write blogs, which talk about my life. I've seen them, yeah. Well, I don't write memoirs. I'm not interested in them. Well, there's a short story, New York Echoes. Yes, I have. I'm, I'm doing my third New York Echoes mm -hmm. book. I think those are really, really interesting, you know, but very different. 
from a true, true you know, novel of evolution of beginning, middle, kind of end. So is that... The short story is different. Yeah. Well, you know, Twitter is based on the fact that birds have two ways of communicating. One way a bird communicates is they go tweet, tweet, tweet. You know, they just sort of sing to you. Okay, and then what they sometimes do is they have this burst of energy that comes out that goes tweet, 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 tweet. And no scientist knows why, but that's why they named it Twitter, because it's this, it's, it appears to the scientists that the birds have this energy they have to get on paper. And I couldn't help but wonder if some of the pieces that you've written are your Twitter versus, versus your tweet. Like a novel takes a long time, and it's this you know, sort of slow, meandering conversation with yourself on a piece of paper. But some of what you write is really urgent. Well, it's a short story. It's different. Well, it's but, different. You yeah. have to do it differently. But um, uh, I'm now finishing my third uh, uh, New York Echoes, and uh, it, it is different. It is a, a wholly different way of looking at it. It has to be faster, and it has to be different. You haven't got the time, the leisure, to really go into the uh, character. So, what are you reading? Do you prefer books or movies? Well, I'm a child of the golden age of movies, and I can name all the movie stars of the 30s and 40s. And I met, when I lived in California, I was on the Warner lot, and I met some of the great actors. And uh, that was a big thrill to me. Do you think the actors of old um, are better than the actors of today? Mm, not really. Uh, Do you think the work no, was better well, then? Well, for me, I, I, they linger in my memory more. They don't make movies for people like me anymore. I don't know if they do it for you. I mean, I'm not interested in comic book characters. I think that when things get really rough, people are looking for for escape. And those comic book pictures are all escape movies. I'm not interested in that at all. I'm well, interested. They called me when I was in Hollywood a relationship writer. So I'm only interested in human relationships, not... Uh, well, Nora Ephron was a relationship <clears throat> writer. I guess she was, yes. That's, and, that's, you know, so if you look at When Harry Met Sally, that's all based on relationships. Yeah, but they don't make movies like that anymore. Yeah. Well, or they don't make big money on these movies. Well, Nancy Myers, uh, it's complicated. Did you see that movie? No, I didn't. Yeah. I, don't, I don't go to the movies. With the well, I'm going to make you go see a couple movies because... Okay, great. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to pick you up and I'm going to take you to the movies. Okay, but fine. But Myers, I, I, I'm yeah. a great fan of Turner old, old movies. I can name all the movie stars <laughs> down to the... Uh, to the oh, Not to the extras. Uh, I still can remember them. Well, we do, a, we do something on Screen Thoughts. It's called Blast from the Past. So give me two movies. If, if somebody's not familiar with that, that, or that, that time, give our listeners two movies that you think would be blast from the past that they should go back and watch. Because our listeners are a lot of people in the industry, but they're young, you know, younger people in the industry, as well as people who follow film and television in a huge way. They, you know, three to ten hours a day. You know? so, so tell us two movies, or three movies if you can, that you think blast from the past... We should go back and watch. I will watch those three movies, and then I'm going to make you go to three movies, and we're going to see where you come out. Okay. Okay, what do you Gone got? Gone with the Wind. Okay, uh, absolutely. Which is very interesting. Okay. From a, uh, I don't think that Selznick read that book. 
I think he knew about the book because those guys don't read. The one thing about Hollywood is they don't read. <laughs> it's amazing. They have their people below them uh, reading these books and then writing an outline or something like that. It's, it's amazing. The original guys, Goldwyn and May, they never read those books. It's a whole different world. Uh, but um, uh, Gone with the Wind was a terrific movie, I thought. Another movie that I really... That's a great liked. choice, Gone with the Wind, actually. Yeah. It was a terrific choice. Yeah. And uh, Clark Abel, of course, was fantastic. But nobody knew that that's that they... Um, they uh, pulled... They stopped production because Clark Abel had an infection in his teeth. So what wonderful smile that you saw in Clark Abel was all false teeth. Huh. Isn't that interesting? That's <laughs> interesting. Wow. Nobody I, knows that. I love those tidbits. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, Clark Abel, that shot of him in the stairs, people still gasp when they see that shot. Another movie that I thought was... By really, the way, it's also a Greek tragedy. I mean, oh, it's you a, know... There's a woman's figure. Oh. I mean, she was a uh, yeah. bee. She was really... Fantastic. She is a, uh, she played that part wonderfully. She did, yeah. Uh, another movie that I that made a great uh, impression on me was the original All Quiet on the Western Front. But my all-time great movie was A Brief Encounter. The original Noel Coward play, not the, well, not the play, the movie, Brief Encounter was fantastic. That, okay. That if you look at that movie, you get what happens to people who don't realize their dreams. And suddenly, this because I'm a great You're believer. a romantic, you are. Well, I'm more than a romantic because I write love stories. Most of my love stories are, di they're not traditional love stories no, like not. romance fiction. But I have written many love stories because there is no way to explain. No way to explain why one person picks a person and not another. They have written books upon it. I spent, I spent time researching the subject of why people fall in love. There is no answer. People will argue with me all the time. They'll talk about chemistry or smell or oh, yeah, whatever. I've seen the data on smell. You don't know why you fall in love. So then you can't know why you fall out of love either. That's a good, that's a very good comment. No, I guess you can't. Uh, you can't. Because a lot of what you write is not about being in love as much as it is about... Falling out of love? About actually, or even, you know... You probably um, don't know. Yeah. You don't know how it begins and you don't know how it ends. Yeah. There is no way of knowing. This is just my personal opinion. Uh, well, yeah, that matters. But I saw every yeah. black and white movie there was. I guess I saw it. Went to the movies every Saturday. And now you don't go at all. This is not okay. Well, I go, but I'm not... It's, it's a little different. Yeah. I don't like the noisy movies, and the coming attractions drive me crazy. Well, here's what's wrong with the coming attractions. I used to actually, 15 or 20 years ago, I actually enjoyed seeing coming attractions because it gave me a little bit of a snippet because there wasn't as much data out about movies that were coming out. But now they tell the entire movie and they ruin the punchline. You know, it's sort of like if someone gives a punchline for a joke up front. So I don't, I usually go in, if you go to the first movie of the day and you go in 
12 minutes after it's supposed to start, you've missed them all. So that's a little, I'm giving you well, a yeah, tip Well, yeah, but they here. don't get a good seat. No, in the first move of the day, no one's there. It's oh, just me. I can't stand those coming attractions, especially in the movies with the bang-bangs. It drives, you cra- drives me crazy. And it doesn't stop. They could do 12 minutes. Warren, 12 minutes. You won't see any of them. Oh, my Trust God. me on this. And go to the first movie of the day. You get up early. You can do that. I go to movies at 1030 in the morning. That's the way to see yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Well, so, you're really a movie buff. Yeah. I was. I was. Some of my great lessons of my own life have come out of movies. It's, it's enabled me to re-examine my behavior and change it in a way that a, a conversation does not, you know? It's well, well, my movie life maybe ended with the golden age of movies. 24 years, you said, I think 24 years, if I'm not mistaken, before you got published. No, I was 46 years old. Well, but how? when, when did you submit your first book for publish? I guess when I, well, it wasn't, I guess I submitted short stories. Um, probably in my 20s. I don't Okay, so we're talking about a lot of rejection. I have a rejection to fill this whole apartment. Okay. I don't... uh, Well... I never take them seriously because because most of the people I... I have studied bestsellers, as a matter of fact. And uh, most of the bestsellers that have been recorded by the New York Times, my young staff has not a clue who the authors are. Not a clue. Number one authors, not a clue. I'm in the, this game for the, long, for the long ball. And the reason I am doing this in my own publishing company, and I own the rights to all my books, is to keep my authorial name alive beyond my lifetime. That's why I made this investment. That's the only reason I'm doing this. It's continuing my legacy. If it works, fine. I'll never be around to see it. But my son, Jonathan, my middle son, uh, runs a production company now, and he has the rights to all of my novels. And the only thing I want him to do is um, work out all the details. I don't want to see the scripts. Don't change the title. For me, the movies are advertising for my books. That's the way I look at it. So I don't look at the scripts. I don't do anything that in, they, they will occasionally ask me for advice. And I say, look at the book. You know, I, I, um, I talk a lot about titles on Screen Thoughts. Titles matter to me. You know, oh, they, yes. yeah. For so, a book writer, it matters. If they change the title, what good is it to the, to the author of the book? Not just about money. Well, Random Hearts, the title... When I go to the title of Random Hearts, for example, and I think random, random's a big word to insert. I mean, I get the hearts part totally, but random is as if there was absolutely no decision made for the ending that took place, meaning, uh, you know, I randomly met you. In other words, the entire force of the entire book really made me think twice about the fact that the fact that they found each other after they died all of those things were random moments that could or could not have happened well that's what I that's what I said earlier about falling in love you you can't plan it mm-hmm. you don't know it mm-hmm. it's random and the whole point of that book was to show when you fall in love you have no control over it and the two protagonists at random hearts in, in my book 
when they realized that their spouses were actually cheating on them, they discovered that this is what happens when you fall in love. It controls you. You don't control it. And that's the way it ended. It ended with the protagonists falling in love, even though because they realized that their spouses had fallen in love. Did you do you name the book before you write it, or do you name it after you write it? Oh, after, after. So you start the book. Your process is you start the book. You don't talk to anybody but about it while you're writing it. No. Okay, you write five pages a day. Yes. You think about it the rest of the day. I think about it. I think about it all of the time. It totally, as we speak, I know that my subconscious is working on my my fiction writing. So does that, I have learned that it so, never stops. It's always there. So does that mean that you live a secret life by yourself while you're living a pro- well, public life? Well, it's not life? secret. It's my life. It, it actually true. It is secret. As I'm that. talking to you, I know that I'm working out different plots, lines, different characters in the background. It's always running in the background of my mind. And I think other writers will tell you that too. It's all about concentration and focus. Once you get an idea, it, it revolves in your head without okay. you even realizing it. I have to ask a big Aseric question. Ready? Okay, so you told me you don't care what anybody thinks about you. No. Okay. But you told me that one of the things you're doing... I mean, thinks about me. You're right. I mean, I don't care that. I want them to love my books. Okay, I was just... That's my, my question is, okay, so you don't care what people think about you, but yet you want to make sure that the book is... The books are read long after you're gone and that they have a life longer than your own. I hope so, okay. yes. Okay, so your book... What people think of your books matters much more to you than what people thinks of, think of you. As a person. Yeah. Yes. Like, don't you? What? Don't you think that's? Well, I, I mean, I don't like people to think badly of me or anything like that. Uh, I, 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 I <laughs> well, really no, wait, don't want to go no, through life fighting the world. Somebody I do. who writes an editorial to the New York Times saying that some of the biggest filmmakers in the world did a terrible job on his book is not somebody who cares what people. think. Even back then. No, <laughs> I, I did something that was a real no-no. Nobody ever does that, but I didn't it? care. Do, do you regret doing it now? No, I don't regret it. I think it was uh, tactically stupid, but <laughs> why not? I mean, uh, that was my piece of work. I thought they had screwed it up, and I told the truth. And uh, nothing will ever stop me from telling the truth, although I believe that it's unethical to, to be so positive about anything, and I'm not. You mean to be so sure? About anything. Not, anything. Po- not positive, po- yes, but sure, po- you mean. Absolutely. Okay. There is no... It is ethically, to, and from my viewpoint, that you can never be sure of anything, and you should always keep yourself an open mind. That's politics, and that's love, that's relationships... And I, uh, I caution my friends who argue with me, please, do not think that your, your opinion is, is absolutely, totally true and accurate. That's just the way I live my life. Call me a skeptic then. 
So, and that stands for your opinion, too. Yes, so absolutely. So maybe random people charts was a better movie than you thought it was. People, there are many people that love I random hearts, but my it. opinion was my was opinion. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Uh, I thought they could have done a better job if they had made uh, Harrison Ford's character uh, a uh, an assistant to a congressman, which is what that character was. And that was an important part of the book. So they changed it to a cop and had no relationship at all to the relationship between the man and the woman. Well, at the time, interesting, at the time, when Sorkin pitched The West Wing, one of the things that the networks all said is nobody wants to watch anything about Washington. Oh, I go back further than that. Okay, that's, I was just going to say, so, so I can understand why they would have said that character is not somebody people want to see on the screen, so let's make him a cop, which everybody loves to see, and then the guys won't mind coming, because the cop what, beat him up thing, you know, you've got to get men in the, in the movie as well, so... I think that's a yeah. very good analysis. Yeah. Now, when I was a kid, 20 years old, 22 years old, I wrote a short story... And I wanted to get William Morris to be my... It was about a senator. And uh, I went up to William Morris and met one of their uh, agents, a kid. And it was about a senator, and I think it was about a senator who was not a good, good guy. And the agent said to me, you can't do that. You can't write about senators and politicians in that way. And uh, we're not interested in taking you on. Yeah. So what Sorkin did in uh, that, tell the truth about what he saw Washington was. Well, by the time Sorkin brought... That was maybe 50 years later. Uh Well, not 50, but close. Yeah, 40 maybe. Um, But I think probably with Random Hearts, that's why they didn't want to make them, you know... Well, sure. I think from they were looking at uh, getting butts in the seats. And uh, it uh, and they had this uh, manly star, Mr. Harrison Ford, and to be an assistant to a congressman would be putting putting maybe putting his heroic uh, vision uh, off the screen. Now you were an executive producer of. Well, they give you that. Okay, you, but you have no out. power. You had no power to say no anything. No power at all. Do you, did you ever go watch filming of any of them? Yes, I watched one scene being filmed. Which one? Around the corner. Uh, there was a restaurant right around the corner here called Billy's. And they shot something in Billy's. It's no longer there. I also watched a scene, the first scene that Sydney was uh, shooting. Uh, I watched that in, uh, they were doing it in New York. And I was sitting a little to the side of the set. And Sydney looked at me and said, why don't you leave? They don't like to have the original writer anywhere near them. Hmm. So I left after the first thing. Okay, so next book that you think should be made into a movie? I want our listeners to... Well, there are books that are now in process. We're having... uh, The scripts are finished. Um, uh, The directors have been chosen. Uh, One of them is called Morning Glory, which I wrote years ago. And I believe the writer-director is a woman named Hopkins, but I have no input at all in it. 
as, as I said to you, I, I stay out of that. Well, wait, but you, the first script has to be written by you. Is that still your no. deal? Oh, no, not oh. now. I used You've to moved on that. from that. Okay. I don't want to even get involved with those. I was on a lot of one. I don't want to get involved with those people because More everyone has a different idea. You know, they, I'm not interested in that. <laughs> um, but there are, there, there are, I think, ten different movies that my son is developing now. Among the top ones are the, it's, are the War of the Roses called um, Grey Eagle Productions. Um, the, War of the, the sequel to The War of the Roses, uh, a book called The Morning Glory, uh, and they're developing uh, Funny Boys about the early days of the Catskill Mountains and uh, the gangsters that were around there and a lot of other books that are, that are in development now. And uh, he's uh, currently uh, working very hard getting these things together, finding directors, etc. So there are ten of my books that are on their way to the silver screen. Um, Well, I'll look forward to reviewing them. I will. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing them made. They take forever. Will I be around? Yes, you will. Thank you, dear. (laughs) Okay. My problem has been I do not write the same book. I can't do it. That's not your problem. That's your gift. I would say that you're correct, but it's a problem for marketing. No. Because certain people write certain books within certain genres, and I don't do that. I don't write genres. Even those, the mystery books that I have written with a woman heroine uh, is not close to the genre of mystery books. It's all about Washington. It just means they have to be marketed separately. And I don't want to change the world uh, I, or save the world. I'm telling it like it is, and that's what I hope people will understand. I think they will. You never know. It's interesting uh, what these books will do. Why is Shakespeare still being read nearly 500 years since his birth? Because he understands human beings. His stories are fantastic, and his people are fantastic, even though he's a playwright and not a novelist. I don't the know. Bible, I think, is one of the great novels of all time. It's a great story. It's got everything in it. Gosh, Warren, I, I thought it was repetitive, violent, poorly written. I don't know. Well, I don't... Uh, poorly written, uh, it was translated from, uh, from um, Hebrew through Greek, I mean, it was translated. The King James Version was a new. So tell version. me, tell me why that's a great book. Why is that? Because it's all there, all the all the background, all the things about human beings. It has uh, everything from uh, sex and murder and uh, deceit, and it's a really interesting book. Hmm. So, is there a character that is you anywhere? They're all me. I like that. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I try to create characters that uh, people will identify with and uh, to keep them in character throughout throughout the book. Often, uh, I do an enormous amount of rewriting. You cannot just write a book. You have to rewrite and rewrite and rewrite, sometimes 50, 60 times. And I still, if I, if I, if I ever reread my books, which I don't, I would have 
I would be sitting there and making changes. You know, I've often thought that an actor has a much easier time doing a character when there's a book behind the movie because of what you said earlier. You said earlier that, you know, that a book enables you to be inside the mind of a, of a character in a way you, you know, like no other art form. You can't see behind the scenes. But, but I, I think that that's not necessarily true because that actor will not read the book. You don't think actors read the books? No, they do not. They read their part. And that was one of the things that uh, I had with Kathleen Turner, who every time I said, did you read my book? She got very upset. No. Really? Yeah. Nobody nobody reads the book. The actors don't read the book. They read the script. Absolutely. I don't know a single actor that read my book, except when Dustin Hoffman... Wanted to do random haunts. He read the book. So why didn't I he think. take the why didn't he take the role? God knows. Wait. So you don't think Kathleen Turner read your book? Absolutely not. She said that would spoil my part. Oh my God. Well, that's the way it is in Hollywood. Uh, it's naive to think otherwise. They well, don't read the. They read their part. Well, many women now who are becoming directors and producers, you know. The well, recently, that's different. Okay, they read the books and they want the books based on reading them and seeing themselves in some role or other, you know. Well, my experience, yes, they, re- they read the book and then they uh, make their changes and mm-hmm. they use their own vision and they do not follow the book. War of the Roses, everybody that touched that book with the exception of uh, Danny DeVito, who was the director, but then again he was taking orders from James L. Brooks, who was the brains behind it, was divorced. Every single person that bought into that book was divorced, including uh, David Brown and Dick Zanuck that bought the book first for the movies. They were all divorced. But you don't think it's interesting that you wrote it and you're not, and you were happily married? (laughs) Well, people think that that's what I'm I'm dealing with, the imagination. Easy for you to say. I'm not divorced. It never even occurred to me. Easy for you to say, that's my imagination, but some people would say it's very hard to write well about things you've never experienced. Well, if you have an imagination, you experience them. Well, that's true. I hadn't thought about yeah, that. Yeah, if, that, if that's what your gift is, then you know. So you said Danny... I mean, Shakespeare didn't experience all those characters that he did and uh, he created. He did the Balzac. To this day, he, I think even Shakespeare... Did anybody. I, to this day, I think Shakespeare may have been a woman. I'm not sure. But, okay, who, who knows, right? You can't say for sure. Yeah, okay, but wait, you said Danny DeVito was taking orders from someone else. Do you think he didn't direct it the way... He didn't, he didn't chart the direction of it? Well, he probably did. He's a... I don't know. I don't know. I think he was... That James L. Brooks was the brains behind that whole thing. And uh, he was the head of the company... Uh, he really wanted that book badly when it was available, and he got it, and he got it right. You feel you feel that movie was done really, really well. I think it was done very, very well. They did it the way they should have. Mm. They cut out a lot of different parts, uh, but that's okay. They found something within that book that made it a, uh, a kind of an icon in the divorce industry for at least. Four decades. I was going to say, and keeping and still. keep going. So yeah. Who yeah. knows? And you thought Danny DeVito was good in the part? Yes, he was good in the part. Do, I, 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 he was I, de- I wasn't sure he was cast properly, but well, he was a part of the. He's part of the group. Yeah. He was the director. Well, that's the nepotism of 
being able well, that's to. That's the yeah. way it is. Yeah, I mean, exactly. he's still out there, and uh, he was a hairdresser uh, to begin with, but a natural actor. And he was a hairdresser? I didn't know that. Mr. Danny, he was a hairdresser. Really? Well, they were all with something else. I guess. I mean, Harrison Ford was a carpenter. He was a carpenter. Yeah, yeah. so. And, yeah. Uh, so was Jesus. Well, yes, right. <laughs> you know, I'm not sure what that means, but I can't thank you enough. My pleasure.